good morning, or possibly afternoon, depending on where you live. And it could be some other time zone also. It might even be afternoon, could even be evening, depending on where you're at. Welcome to another Truth Factor discussion, where we do our best to factor the truth of God's Word into both your and our daily lives. Here in just a little bit, we will continue with uh, Romans. We are in chapter 15. Uh, my name is John Duval, and with us today, I don't do this often, most of the time we know everybody, but we have Mike Davis, Tom Thornhill, scratching his face, Shelton, and um, Mike with an awesome background, Haynes. So that's everybody. We're missing Paul Adams. He's normally with us, uh, but he had some uh, personal things to take care of, and so we completely understand what that is like. So if you'd like to participate in our discussion today, there are several different ways you can do that. If you are watching us on Facebook, then use the comment area. Jump right in. If you're watching this on our live YouTube page, which is also Truth Factor Live, then use the chat area. If you happen to be at our website, live.truthfactor.com, then you'll notice at the bottom of the video window, there's a phone number. You can send your messages to us, your comments via text, if you would like, at 405-72. I always forget that number. I got two numbers I have to remember. Well, just watch the bottom of the screen. It'll come up here in a minute. Anyway, you can send us your uh, your comments at 405-726-0874, and I'll be monitoring those, and we'll bring them into our discussion as well. And last but not least, send us an email if you would like at questions at truthfactorlive.com. So this morning, Tom is going to be leading our study today, going through Romans chapter 15. Let me pop up our nice, handy-dandy, golden study through Romans Man, are not quite appropriately uh, located. I need to work on that. But anyway, Tom, if you would go ahead and take us into our discussion today, sir. All right. Okay. Uh, we we want to welcome Shelton back with us. Good to have him here today. Uh, and sure. uh, we are doing Romans chapter 15. Of course, in this chapter, we are coming toward the conclusion of the book of Romans. And what I mean by that is in Romans 15 and 16, uh, in the midst of some doctrinal teaching, you have a lot of personal application. And, uh, and you find a little bit of that, especially in the latter half of this chapter. Also, at the beginning of this chapter, Paul is basically making some concluding remarks based upon Romans chapter 14 that, that Michael led us in the study last week, uh, a, a passage that we've noted is you know, sometimes highly abused and so on. But that's where we actually begin this particular chapter as Paul is summarizing this up. And so with that in mind, let's go ahead and get started. And uh, um, uh, Romans chapter 15, verses one through six. And, and, and if I can, I forgot to assign these. You know, since Michael taught Romans 14, let's let Michael read this today. And, and then Shelton, I'll get you to read the next section. Okay, you said uh, one, through four, one through six? Yes. Okay. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatsoever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Thank you for reading that, Michael. And uh, uh, let's go ahead and do we have the chat room questions ready for this? Uh, yep. Okay. The chat room, th this is based on uh, Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, a passage that we quite frequently quote, quote or at least I do, <laughs> in my sermons. And, and the question is, what are some ways the Old Testament is useful today? <clears throat> so, so that's where we want to begin today. Uh, now, having said that, going to verse number 1, Paul, as I said, he's continuing to wrap up with the Romans 14 discussion about 
matters of liberty. And he says, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. And, and the New King James Version uses the word scruples in there. Paul says we need to bear with those things. So I just wanted to ask, what does he mean by the scruples of the weak? Anybody? In the last week, we talked about how weak could mean one or two things. It could mean weak in faith, um, which faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We could also say a weakness of understanding. But we also said that weakness could apply to those who, having an accurate understanding, still have a an issue of the conscience, which is a, a different understanding, uh, different than our understanding. I kind of personally lean to the latter, that it's the issue of the distinction of the conscience rather than the weakness of faith. But uh, certainly, like I said, uh, we can see that either of those might fit to the context of, of what the weakness is about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's kind of, and that word scruples, it's one of those words that in the English language is confusing because, I mean, when we, when we think of scruples, usually we always think of it in a bad way. And, and it's kind of a tough word to interpret Set, not getting that in place, especially when you look at other versions. The, the King James uses the word infirmities. Uh, the New American Standard uses the word weaknesses, and the English Standard uses the word failings. So, so and and uh, again, I I'm not even sure about those words. You know, from the standpoint of if they, if 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 those are good words, because I don't necessarily think that this is a sinfulness. Uh, you know, and the idea of a of failings or, or an infirmity means that you're doing something wrong. Uh, I don't think that's the point that Paul is making here, even though he is saying be patient with people. You know, he's talking about these matters of, of, uh, of conscience, uh, one way or the other. So any other thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I think, Tom, if we look at the Greek word for scruples there, uh, kind of helps us to understand. I think it's a little bit of a combination of both of the things that you were saying, like you said, it may not be uh, a deliberate sinful uh, type action that we're talking about here with the word scruples, but like what you know, y'all discussed in Romans chapter 14 last week, even though we are weak in conscience, maybe, and sometimes it doesn't mean that our actions therefore are not sinful, even if they are, you know, just because our conscience is, is weak, they're still sinful. And I think this word scruples gets to the point of, an infirmity or an error that is caused by a weakness of either conscience or understanding. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's definitely dealing with the idea of, uh, it's definitely de dealing with being patient with people, you know, uh, for whatever reason, you know, you, uh, uh, anybody who is a parent and who has children can remember back to those early childhood years when you were dealing with kids that didn't understand and they they uh, messed things up broke things you know whatever it is is they're running around the house and uh you you, you you've got to bear with them you, you you've got to be with them and and if you want to know where your patience is going to be tested that's it so so yeah. Anyways, uh, anyways, uh, another thought that comes to my mind in these uh, first two verses is uh, Paul had talked about this when he says this. Bear with us. He 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 mentions an attitude that we need to keep in mind that will help us to deal with these weaknesses or scruples. And what would that attitude be? I think it's the same attitude we see Jesus talk about in Mark twelve. Uh, verse 31, where most of us are all familiar with this verse, same concept mentioned in Matthew 22, verse 40. But uh, when he's talking about what the greatest commandments are, he says in verse 31 of Mark 12, the second like it is you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and there's no other commandment greater than these. Um, Paul also deals with it again in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 5, where he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Um, and then again, Ephesians 4, verse 29 talks to us that any word that should proceed out of our mouth should be that which is for edification of the brethren. So I think if we have these three verses kind of combined with this, we recognize Paul's saying, if we are going to deal with the scruples of the weak brethren as somebody who's strong, as somebody who cares and loves them, we need to have their best interest in mind, not to be doing this to 
cause pride to self or uh, to puff ourselves up, but to rather strengthen them in their faith. And absolutely, uh, that's the point that I was making. Paul uses the word at least uh, in, in the New King James Version, don't please ourselves. And, and so, so the, the idea of pleasing ourselves, I think of Philippians 2, 2, or Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. You know, look out for the interests of others, not, not yourself. How many problems would be resolved if we would do that? So any other thoughts on these verses? Okay, if not, uh, uh, next, uh, how is Christ an example of not pleasing ourselves? Jesus himself said, I came not to do my will, but the will of my Father. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't about Christ. It was about God's design to save mankind from their sins. And so if, if we would approach life with the same sacrificial attitude as Christ, that we're not here to please ourselves, we're here to save the souls of not only ourselves, but all that we can teach the gospel to, and that's the attitude of Christ, and I believe that's what Paul's saying here. You can't you can't sit around saying, "Well, what can I do for me?" It's what can I do for God? Right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. You know, there's so many there's so many expressions of Jesus that point to this. You know, the Son of Ma the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. And even if you go to that Philippians two passage, which deals with. Uh, uh, which deals with not thinking about yourself or thinking about your but thinking about others. He follows that up with verse five, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus the Lord. Talks about humility and how he left heaven. And of course he didn't do it for himself. He did it because we need it. And and that's ultimately the point. And and then following this, he he uh, in verse number three, we have this old testament passage. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And uh, 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 that's found in Psalm 69 and verse number nine, which, which is a messianic psalm. There are several things as you read through that psalm that, that are associated with the life of Jesus, e even though it's one of those interesting psalms because clearly David is dealing with himself. And there are some things in Psalm 69 that do not apply to Christ. But at the same time, it's quoted multiple times in the New Testament. And this particular one, uh, the idea of the reproaches of those who reproached you on me, how would that apply to this discussion we're having on these verses? Well, there, there, there's, there's quite a few ways, actually, Tom, that these are applicable to what we're studying here. Paul said to the Corinthians that he bearing his own body, our sins on the tree. It's not a matter that, uh, I believe it was Paul to Corinth, but anyway, the, the scriptures say that Christ bore in his own body our sins on the tree. Therefore, the, it, it, it's my fault Christ had to die. Now, the application here in, in these first four or five verses is look at the examples, verse 4, look at the examples of the Old Testament. They teach us that because of sin, various things happened, and because of righteousness, various things happened. Therefore, if my life is given to God in obedience to Him, it must continue to be sacrificial. We looked at that a few chapters back, where we need to be living sacrifices, but we're doing this, as I said a little bit ago, not for our own sakes, but for the sakes of saving souls that will listen to the gospel. That's what this is all about. So the reproaches of, of us fell on Christ. He died for the remission of our sins. We need to pro proclaim that, let people know this is what he did and why. And now this is what we need to do and why. Right. Exactly. And, and wouldn't you say that that verse in summary is, is the ultimate example of Jesus not pleasing himself? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the you point. Know, if he right? pleased himself, he, he was the only innocent man that ever walked the face of the earth. And if he was to please himself, he'd say, hey, this isn't worth it. But it was worth it, not for his cause, but for ours. Exactly. He, for us.
that's that's a price that none of us together could pay yeah exactly exactly right right okay well thank you for that uh it, now we come to verse number four which is a verse that we uh I, like i said we quite uh frequently quote this it talks about things written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope uh, what are the things written before that he's talking about here Seems well, he's that, talking uh, about what we would call the Old Testament or the writings that they would have had recorded, written down uh, for them. Jesus calls them the writings of the, the law and of the prophets um, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 22, 40. So they could, you know, in my opinion, that's what that is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. Brian, did you have something? No, I was going to say exactly what Shelton said that, uh, since he quoted verse three out of Psalm 69, the, the context is set up for us there. He's talking about the Old Testament. Yeah, it, yeah exactly, exactly. And we'll, and I'm going to deal more with this when we get to our chat room question, because uh, we'll, we'll have a little bit of discussion there, but, but uh, good thoughts there. So uh, the next thing that I would mention here is uh, in verses five and six, Paul again talks about the idea of being like-minded. And so so uh, what, what do you... What's that mean? Just to remind us. It means to have the same unity. It means to have unity in our our goal and also our teachings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I know one of the observations we've made is in dealing with this is we are to strive for unity, but where uh, the unity needs to be deep enough that it includes the way that we think. You know, I, I mean, I mean, it, it goes down to the, the reason we're united is because we've got, uh, if you use the expression, we've got the same mindset and and uh, and we need to work on that. You know, uh, uh, you know, as brethren within a congregation, we need to work on having the same type of a mindset, even even when we have things that we differ about. So so uh, so that's the point. So does anybody have any other points uh, or, or thoughts about these verses here? Okay, well, uh, I mean, if not, of course, the ultimate point is with one mind and one mouth, God will be glorified because we are united. And so when we, and I, I like the way he says there, when we assemble together or, or, or we can together glorify God, I think that happens when we come together and maybe at other times as well. So with that in mind, that brings us back to the chat room question here. And so what are some ways that the Old Testament is useful today? And did we get some... Uh, did we get some uh, responses got, to that? We got one in Facebook right now from Jared. Uh, Jared Dart's got us an answer there. In our Facebook chat, Jared uh, points out, I think the Psalms is a helpful book from the Old Testament. And uh, Jared, that's a great point, I think, because um, we're commanded to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs twice in the New Testament. So, And the term, terminology there would indicate it's referring to the book of Psalms. So, Jared, you're exactly right. The book of Psalms is, in fact, very important to us. We, we embrace it uh, just about every time we come together in worship as an assembly. Yeah, good, good, good point. Okay. Yeah. Anybody else have any other thoughts on the, how the Old Testament is useful today? And obviously the point is, without going into the discussion, we're not under the old law today. So why read it? I don't know. Have you ever known brethren that basically want to dismiss the Old Testament and say we don't need to study the Old Testament, you know, at all? Yeah. I, mean, I, I know I've I've come across people like that, or 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 all they give it is a cursory, you know, a, a cursory glance. I think we need to do more than that with the Old Testament. So Thomas, any, there was any, a, any there, there was an old preacher years ago that helped walk in, in mentoring me, if you will. And Brother Rody would, would teach us, the more we knew of the law and the prophets, the better we can appreciate the New Testament. The Old Testament is, as the old fellows used to say, the Old Testament is God's will concealed. The New Testament is God's will revealed. And he's right. The more you understand what God told Moses regarding the law, and then the more you understand the prophecies, regarding the coming of Christ in the church, the better you can appreciate everything within the New Testament. So Paul's exactly right. They were written for our learning, but not 
takes patience and comfort that we might reach that hope. And I, I think it's a combination. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Any other thoughts? You know, Tom, what's kind of interesting about this is the word here, learning, is the exact same word that's used in 2 Timothy 3.16 when it talks about all scriptures for doctrine. In fact, a lot of places that word learning is translated doctrine, just like it is in 2 Timothy 3.16. And that's that's kind of a, a profound statement, uh, especially when we consider that verses 14 and 15 of 2 Timothy 3 uh, uh, make it clear that included in the all scripture are the scriptures that Timothy had known since his birth the Old Testament. Uh, we often don't appreciate the idea that the Old Testament is given to us as an established idea of doctrine. And what that implies is the idea that it establishes for us the understanding of the doctrine of the New Testament. So I think a lot of legal systems have the concept where there may be another legal system that is not uh, legally effective, and yet it is the basis of which law operates. In the United States, for example, our legal system is based on something called the English common law. While English common law is not the authoritative jurisdiction of law, it is that which establishes the law we have today. Uh, we, we have to understand that the Old Testament establishes for us the concepts of authority that the New Testament is on. And it comes down to it, we, we are commanded to have an understanding of this. Uh, you know, and, I, and I, would, I would suggest that whenever somebody says, well, you know, let's not study the Old Testament or let's, let's, you know, let's just concentrate on the New Testament. They may actually be avoiding uh, a very important commandment by God that we are expected to have a knowledge of the Old Testament, to understand the things that were given to us beforehand, because they were written for our understanding. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11 tells us much the same thing, that the things that were written uh, were for us uh, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Repeatedly in the New Testament, the command is given both to Jews and to Gentiles to know the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I contend that we cannot understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. Uh, th there's so many things we can learn from it. Uh, now, let's, we're having some technical problems, so I'm going to turn this over to John for a moment. He's got something to say, and then we'll resume in a few minutes. All right, so what we're going to do is we appear to have some issues with our Zoom meeting. So stay tuned. I'm going to close out the Zoom meeting and we'll bring the guys back in. Tom, keep in your mind where you left off at and we'll start um, start back with that point. Yeah, we're going to start okay. with verse 7. Okay. All right. So everybody stay with us. This should take just less than a minute, maybe even 30 seconds. And I'll, guys, I'll send you all the, the invite right, you know, right at the, we turn around here. All right. So let's end the meeting for all. That is done. Now let me fire up a new one. Alrighty, now let me check the stats on this one. I started looking, um, noticing that throughout the course of what we were dealing with, that the video seems to be worse for, you know, was, was it just one person? And um, so bear with me a second here. Let's do that. Let's bring everybody back in. Righty, working there. All right, give me just a moment. We'll be right back. We are in Romans chapter 15. We'll be starting in verse 7 here in just a moment. And Tom is leading us in our discussion today. And so let's start bringing everybody back in one at a time. All right, we've got Brian and Mike and Shelton. And Tom will probably be bringing up the rear. Okay, that looks better, and the performance level on this end seems to be better. Sounds better. Yeah. All right, as soon as we get Tom in, we can continue with our, our study this morning. Let's see. What is interesting, and I didn't realize this, I'm looking at the resolution. Um, what I'm getting from Zoom on my end is only 640 by 360. Why well, it probably doesn't look quite as sharp and clear as what I would normally have expected it. We may have to investigate that. All righty, so, Tom, you are back in, so I'm going to turn it back over and you pick up there where you left off at. Uh, All right. Okay, on, welcome back. Can y'all hear me now? <laughs> yeah, they can, but they can't see you. Hang on just a second. <laughs> 
I got to I got to do the uh, proper screen grab here on that one. And right. You know what? Hang on just a minute, guys. Let's close that one. And close out that for a second. And do that. A little bit of technical stuff here. And here we go. That's what I'm looking for. And we see Shelton's pretty face on the screen right about now. Okay, so, <laughs> Tom, you can take over and keep going, sir. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, sorry, sorry for the interruption. Okay, so, so in the next section, after Paul wraps up uh, some of what we were dealing with in the last uh, chapter, in beginning in verse 7, he he kind of wraps up how he's an apostle to the Gentiles uh, and his ministry was for the Gentiles. So I want to get Shelton, if I could, could I get you to read verses seven through 13 of this chapter? Yeah, not a problem, Tom. Not a problem. Okay. I'm in the new King James version. We'll start in verse seven. It says, therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again Isaiah says there shall be a root of Jesse and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, uh, okay, thank you there, Shelton, as you read that. So here uh, Paul reaches this conclusion, to, therefore receive one another. Uh, and, and, uh, and he's going to begin with uh, several Old Testament quotes dealing with the Gentiles. And that leads to uh, this chat room question here. Uh, is there a difference in the way that Jesus receives Jews and Gentiles? So that's what we want to consider. Uh, and, and we'll talk about that in just a few moments. But getting back to our text, uh, what example do we have of how we are to receive one another? Example of Jesus Christ. Yeah, exactly. You know, just as he was the example of the one uh, not to receive himself, uh, we, we all know as Christians, that's the default answer to any, any question about behavior, right? Uh, about who to follow. You know, Jesus is, all, and, and the point is, is he is the ultimate example in all of these things. Uh, uh, Tom, I think Jesus willingly received others. Go ahead, John. I think we're, what we can also drive home with this is Jesus received us in the way that we were. You think about the Apostle Paul. He consented to the death of Christians. That was the type of person he was when Jesus received him. And of course, he repented. I understand all that. Um, but the things that would normally separate us, if Christ is willing to receive us, then we should be willing to receive one another. There's no one person that we can say, look, you're not worthy of the kingdom. You can't be a part of us. We're not going to be one with you. If they're one with Christ, then we're one with them. Right. Yeah, exa exactly. And uh, the point you find Paul making in these verses is he keeps going back to you need to receive the Gentiles. The Gentiles have a place in God's kingdom. And that's why you read there in verse number eight. Now, I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And, and so, so Paul, as he's concluding this letter, and, and that's the doctrinal point of this letter, is all our sinners all need the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is available to all, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. And God accomplished his purpose, bringing everybody together. So, so he's wrapping that up. But then we read, as it is written, and what we find here is four Old Testament passages, and uh, um, time won't permit us to go through all of the passages, uh, but just kind of briefly, where are these four passages 
uh, found. And what I want you to note about these four passages is all four of them deal with the word Gentile. And all four of, well, and we'll talk about the purpose of them when we get done with these. The first one in verse nine, for this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Where's that found? That's Psalms 1849. Exactly. That's found in Psalm 18 and verse 49. And, and, and I, I also have as a footnote a second verse, which is in 2 Samuel 22. Yes. And, and in verse number 50. Uh, and it's making the point, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Okay, uh, verse number 10. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Where is that found? That's Deuteronomy 32 and verse 43. And it's interesting that Moses is repeating that to the children of Israel that are actually the second generation Israelites that will cross Jordan and into Canaan land. And they were not to mingle with the Gentiles. But yet the prophecy says God's going to bless them. Good point, Michael. Good point. Okay, what about verse number 11? Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. Where's that found? That's from the 117th Psalm in the first verse. Okay, so introducing that. And then finally, uh, uh, we know the book in verse uh, 12, as Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him the Gentiles shall hope. It's a combination of two statements out of Isaiah chapter 11 in verse 1 and in verse 10. Exactly, exactly. So here we have all of these, all of these verses, and like I said, Paul's quoting the Old Testament. So let, let's just take a few moments to talk. What's the point? What's the point of all these quotes? Well, number one, he's addressing members of the church at Rome that consist both of Jew and Gentile. The Jews need to realize, as we've studied throughout this book, they're not the superior people anymore. The Gentiles need to realize that they, by the grace of God, have been brought into God's plan. They were the wild olive branch grafted in contrary to nature. And so both Jew and Gentile need to understand God is no respecter of persons here. And so Gentiles, you can do these things. And Jews, you're going to have to accept that fact. Yeah, exactly. Anybody else have any other thoughts? <coughs> well, if, if nobody has other thoughts, uh, uh, a couple of observations that come to my mind as I, as I think about this is, the fact that Paul's quoting the Old Testament, it points to the fact that this was in God's plan all along. You know, don't forget that. Uh, the Gentiles were not an afterthought. They were in God's plan all along. The second thing, and I actually just now noticed this. Notice where the verses are found. Deuteronomy, Psalms, and Isaiah. And you could add to that second Samuel. How did the Jews break up their Old Testament? They, bro they broke it up into three parts, didn't they? Matter of fact, you go over to Luke 24 and verse 44. Jesus talked about all the things concerning me that were prophesied in the Psalms and the prophets and the writings concerning me. You know what? We have all three sections in this particular verse. So I, I like I said, I, that just now hit me. And, and I think that's an interesting observation. This is in God's plan all along. So any other thoughts on this? Well, it shows, I think, Paul, through this whole chapter and through much of the writings of Paul, how truly knowledgeable he was personally uh, of the old writings. And like you said, the things, the gems in here that we find that all three sections were mentioned in this, you know, even those small things that we don't realize every time we read it shows the knowledge Paul had himself of the law and the prophets and uh, of the Psalms. And he is able in all of his teachings to, whether it's to the Jews or to the Gentiles, show that this was God's plan all along. And if you are ones who profess to keep to the writings of the Old Testament, then you especially should be one who sees Christ being taught in those things and sees the fact that he was going to accept the Gentiles yeah. and all who believe like Romans chapter one and verse 16 says. 
Yeah, yeah, ex exactly. And so Paul concludes this section, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I see in that, that Paul, Paul is tying all these brethren to, together. And he's, he's, he's talked about this throughout the letter, but this hope is available to all of you. So share in that hope together rather than turning against each other. And, and that's the wonderful point of Romans 14 and tying it to Romans 15, where it is properly applied. So, okay, uh, uh, let's go back to the chat room question. And in the chat room question, or we ask, uh, let's see, is there a difference in the way that Jesus receives Jews and Gentiles? And did we receive anything on that? We did not actually, uh, didn't get uh, an answer on that. One okay, so since you're there, Brian, go ahead. So what I, you know, I think is very interesting. Of course, we want we want to understand that um, the way that Jesus receives today the Jew and the Gentile, he receives the same way. One of the important ideas is that um, that the New Testament, the Book of Acts, tells us that uh, speaking the Jewish uh, apostles to to speak of said of the Gentiles that will be saved in a like manner, uh, and that's an important idea. There are some that teach today that the commandments. For example, of Mark 16, 16, or Acts 2.38, apply only to Jews and not to Gentiles. And some would say that there's two Gospels, the Gospel of Peter and the Gospel of Paul. And, and uh, that's, that's predominantly a lot of Calvinists today. So, uh, so a large number of, of Protestant denominations believe the idea, as, as insane as it sounds, that men might be saved in more than one way. They might be received by Jesus in more than one way. But we want to be clear to say that all men are saved in the same way. And that is uh, through the grace of God, the blood of Christ, obedience to the gospel. And that's the statement of the New Testament, not the statement of us. And it's important that we understand that Christ receives all men the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I would say that this is one of those questions that, you know, I, I always talk about my loaded questions that the actual answer is see all of the above. Because, because it is a yes and no answer. I mean, it's a, it's, it's. Uh, um, uh, they're, they're taught the exact same way as Brian was pointed out. But if you want to point to a difference, the only difference is where Jesus was speaking to Jews. You know, he was telling them, I am the fulfillment of the old law, the old covenant that you were looking for. But then you get to the Gentiles, uh, that goes into the salvation is available for everybody. And uh, so, so uh, you've got, yeah, there was some difference in what difference in what Jesus did as he dealt with them. But the ultimate point is to make salvation available to all the same way. And uh, Paul in the book of Romans is the one who has dealt with that. So, so, so good answer there. Any other thoughts on that? I was afraid you were going to go to the passage where he talks about through faith and by faith. Uh, I got to understand that to go to that. Yeah. <laughs> so. I really thought that's where you were heading with that question. So, so I, so I mean, uh, no, but anyways, well, you open that can of worms. So unless you want to deal with it, let's move on. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I was going to try to find the verse just to share it with everybody. I thought it was in Romans right near where we're studying, but um, I'm not finding it right at the moment, but no, I don't have anything to add to what's been said. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You talking about the through faith and by faith. Yep. Uh, that that's earlier on in the book. Chapter that's, three, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, anyways, and 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 there's slight differences there, but it in the end it means the same thing. We get to the same place, whether Jew or Gentile, and that's the yeah. point. Okay. That's right. All right, so let's go ahead and get going because of our time. Uh, verses fourteen through twenty-one, and and John, if I could get you uh, to read this text for me. Fourteen through twenty-one. I can sure do that. Okay, so here we find the Apostle Paul. He continues by saying, Now, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, 
ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient, in mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that so that from Jerusalem and round about to Elycrium I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Okay, John, thank you for uh, reading that. And, and here we find Paul baby basically describing how he is a minister to the Gentile, and if you want more details on that, study the book of uh, Ephesians, study the book of Second Corinthians, uh, earlier in Romans, a lot of what he talks about deals with this. But, um, but anyways, the thought question that I would have in this is, uh, uh, what can we learn from Paul in verse 14 about how we approach our brethren with doctrinal and moral concerns? And so we're going to talk here in a minute about this verse and, and how can we apply verse number 14. So, so go ahead and we get started with that particular verse. Uh, uh, we, uh, what was Paul's confidence where these brethren were concerned? Well, if I understand your question right, Thomas, you're, you're asking where did Paul think they stood in, in their strength of the gospel? And I believe he's very plain with it. He says, I, uh, I myself am confident concerning you, brethren, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. They couldn't have done that without the gospel of Christ being firmly emplaced in their minds and hearts. Paul had worked very hard to convince both Jew and Gentile that they're not saved by their own merit on either end of these. They're saved by the obedience of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He began the letter saying uh, in chapter 1, verse 16, um, that he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Then at verse 17, for therein, in that gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. By the end of the letter now, he's saying, I'm confident you understand that. You're able to convey that now to everybody around you, and so he's going to let them do that, because that's good, it's knowledgeable, and it's able to admonish. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, Mike. You know, when I, when I think of this, I also see this, I also see that Paul, as he's dealing with these brethren, uh, He's expressing a confidence in them. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I mean, look at what he said when he said, I, 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 my brethren, I know that you're, uh, I'm confident that you're full of goodness. Isn't he really saying that I want you to do the right thing? And he's saying that you're filled with knowledge, which means that you're not just, you're not just doing these things with no care for what God says. And then third, he says, and that you're able to um, admonish one another. He says, I genuinely believe that you do care about each other. So you've got all of those things associated with this. And, and so Paul's praising them on, on this particular occasion as he encourages them to apply what he has talked about. As a matter of fact, he makes the point in verse number 15, uh, nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you. And the point of Paul writing boldly there, well, uh, uh, well, let me ask you, what do you all think that that means? And, and uh, is there a place for boldness as we write and as we engage in conversations with others? Absolutely, there's a place for boldness. Uh, if you read the New Testament at all, especially in Paul's writing, we see that instruction. Uh, I think in Second Timothy, or Second uh, Timothy chapter, let me get this right before I say it wrong. Second uh, Timothy chapter one, two, and four are, you know all the way through basically the whole book, but especially in those select chapters, we see this being taught. Uh, Timothy being a young preacher, of course, is going to be somebody who is committing his life to writing and speaking to others. 
And in doing that, Paul gives him several instructions. Chapter 1, verse 7, chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1 through 2. Uh, never specifically mentioning being bold, but all of these things add up to being strong in the grace, being ready to give a defense, being uh, ready to preach the word in season and out of season. Don't shy away from teaching the truth of the gospel. Uh, and it seems almost to some as though it would contradict what we talked about at the very start of this chapter of doing these things out of love, but that's exactly the opposite. You know, we stand for the truth and we don't give into it. Uh, or we don't give in to the error, we don't give in to the false teaching, we stand for it. And there is going to be a time, just like the brethren in Acts prayed for the boldness, because there are times where standing for the truth and preaching it is going to have consequences, and it's not going to be easy, and it's not going to be the desirable thing to do. And that boldness is very, very important in the life of all Christians, but especially to those who are going to commit their lives to preaching it. Yeah, yeah, a great way to say that. And of course, the idea of boldness is you're not always going to say what's pleasant. Uh, you're going to say what is needed, regardless of the consequences that are associated with that. It's because but you love, love, love them that you're bold. What's that? It's because you love them that you're bold. Exactly. Someone, for, for example, if someone is accosting my wife, they're taking on a bear when, they, when I find that out. Right. I'm going to defend her. Now, if we love our mates, uh, our, our wives that much, how much do we love Christ? And someone starts bad-mouthing Christ or tearing down the church and all, quite frankly, that's where we can be angry and sin not, but be angry against that accosting and stand bold for the truth and show them how wrong they are. Good, good point there. Good point. Okay, uh, let's go on because we've got a little bit more to cover. Hopefully, I'm trying to get done today. So, uh, uh, What was Paul's goal as a minister according to verses 16 and 17? His goal was to preach to those who hadn't heard it before, to preach to those who that knowledge was not known to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and of course, the other things you find there is, is uh, he, he, want, he wants the Gentiles he wants the Gentiles to hear. He wants everybody to hear. And, uh, and, and I think there's an interesting statement in here where he makes the point. Uh, his, uh, that last part of verse 16 where he says that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, my goal is that the Gentiles will be pleasing to God, just like Jews that are following God are pleasing to him. So I, I accidentally I mean, got ahead of you there, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no that, that's perfectly fine. That's perfectly fine. And so that's ultimately his goal. And, 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 and that does lead to the point that you were just making there, uh, 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 where Paul was making the point, uh, uh, let's see, concerning the Gentiles, what did he limit his uh, remarks about him and so on? He limited his remarks to the word of God. Yeah, that's something extremely important for us to to take in our teachings, uh, because a lot of the religious world, so-called you know religious worlds and so-called churches, they are not limiting what they teach and what they say to God's word. They are allowing a lot of other things in, uh, and you know, First Peter chapter four verse eleven says, "We speak as the oracles of God." Uh, Paul again in 1 Timothy chapter 6, when he's instructing Timothy in verse 3 through 5, we recognize the teaching that there's no other doctrine that's given except that from Christ that we should accept. Uh, and it's encouraging that Paul is, of course, being inspired. He's doing the same thing, that he's limiting his teaching to the oracles of God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, was, and, and, and it wasn't about compromising the truth. I mean, he... He wasn't, you know, uh, to put it in some modern terminology, he wasn't saying, you know what, I'm going to go to the Gentiles also because I don't want them to be angry with me. You know, I don't want to hurt the Gentiles' feelings. Or, or I'm not going to teach the Gentiles because I don't want to hurt the Jews' feelings. You know, I mean, I mean his, his goal was to reach others, and it was what Christ taught. And, and he makes that point in Galatians chapter 1, another book, a shortened version, some say, a, I believe, a precursor to Romans. I think Romans is more detailed about what Paul briefly lays out in the book of Galatians. And as, as Paul outlines his life, he makes the point in Galatians 1 and verse 12, 
what I make known to you did not come by, by my own words, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm not doing what I'm not doing this just to be different. I'm doing this because it's what the Lord wants me to do. So, so any other thoughts on that? Okay, uh, uh, if not, according to verse 20, uh, where did Paul try to preach the gospel? That's what I was trying to mention earlier there. Yep. Yeah, Tom, is that he, his, his goal was to go to places where the gospel had not been heard before, that that teaching was unknown. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and uh, that's a wonderful thing. It's also a challenge to do. You know, I, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think everybody can go where the gospel has not been preached before, but it, it takes a special kind of purpose person, but that's Paul's goal uh, uh, to, to go. Uh, the true definition of an evangelist, that's what we have in this. And so that's what Paul is doing. And then he quotes in verse number 21, he quotes again from Isaiah 52 and in verse number 15, uh, to whom he was not announced that they shall see and those who have not heard shall understand. Paul is tying this verse in here. And uh, how would you all tie that verse to the point that Paul's making here? It's the exact same context. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, he was exactly. not announced to them, but yet they're going to see him. And they haven't heard, but they're going to understand once I've taught them. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, who is that prophecy about in Isaiah 52? Gentiles, and, is that right? Well, well, it's applying to the Gentiles, but it's, it's also it's the, the introduction to Isaiah chapter 53. So who's it talking about? The suffering Suffer servant, Christ. Yeah. The suffering servant, Christ. Uh, that, that, that's the one that this is being driven toward. Uh, is, is Paul, is, I'm following the example of Christ. You know, in, in this. Uh, so, so we have that. Okay, well, we need to move on because we're running out of time. But, but our chat room question uh, what can we learn from Paul in verse 14 about how to approach our brethren with doctrinal and moral concerns? Did we get any answers to that? We did. Uh, in our <clears throat> YouTube chat, we've got an answer from Gregor. Uh, approach people in a positive nature with a basis in the word of God, admonishing only by what is written. Great answer. And, and, and that's exactly what I had in mind. Uh, I, I, I noticed the diplomacy of Paul. You know, it, it has often been said that when, if you've got a concern with somebody, if at all possible, use the sandwich technique. Paul did that in almost every letter of his. And what that means is you begin with finding something good to say about them. Then you deal with a concern and you finish with something good. That's what Paul does in almost every one of his letters. Maybe Galatians is the exception, even though he does say hi. <laughs> you know, in the book of Galatians, uh, but but most of them, that's what he does. He he points out all the good things, even Corinth. You know, you look at First Corinthians chapter one, uh, the praise that God gives or that Paul gives there, and then wraps it up. So so that's what you have. Okay, thank you there for, uh, for that, Gregor. Any any other comments on that? Okay, let's get to this last section here in verses twenty two through thirty three. And Brian, I want you to read these for me. And, and this is Paul wrapping up some things about his future plans. All right. Uh, Romans chapter 15, verses 22 through 33. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers in, to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be for, refreshed together with you. 
Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Okay, thank you there, Brian. Uh, and uh, we may go over by just a few minutes with this here because uh, there are several verses and there's a number of things that he deals with here. Uh, uh, so I, I'm assuming that we want to just go ahead and wrap this up. It should take more than 10 minutes. Okay. So, so yeah. anyways, the, the thought room, the chat room question that we have is as you look at this text, based on this text, did Paul make it to Rome in the manner that he described here? And, and, and why or why not? So basically, Paul describes what his plans are in this text. And did it happen that way or was it? Or, or did he get to Rome a different way? And, and so, so that's the question. So first of all, what had hindered Paul from coming to them? Well, it's what we talked about in the previous context, the fact that he was out to preach the word to people who hadn't heard it before and to evangelize. Uh, and so since that was his goal, you know, those in Rome didn't fall under that category. So as much as he would like to see them, his priorities are, you know, his priorities lie first with those who, need the gospel taught to them yeah and i guess the way that i would say it is he wasn't goofing off so, yeah yeah i mean that, that's really the point he's making there so anyways going beyond that uh uh the next question uh what was paul's ultimate plan where they were concerned um i'll, I'll answer that and the next question tom if yeah that's do okay. that put them together because, because uh paul had a, a rather lengthy plan that's actually elaborated on both in the book of acts it's described to us in leak there also first corinthians and second corinthians he was taking a collection that had been taken up by the saints at Philippi, Macedonia, and the saints in Corinth, which is Achaia, and he was going to deliver that to the needy saints in Jerusalem. So uh, that's written of many times in both 1st and 2nd Corinthians, uh, that uh, their gift to the saints there. As the Gentiles, they were supporting Jewish congregations, Jewish brethren in Judea. And then from there, his goal was to travel to Spain. And his hope was that he would travel to Spain and on the way he would pass through Rome. And that would be his opportunity to be with the brethren there. Yeah, exactly. So he's describing, uh, uh, in short, without going into detail, because we've discussed a lot of this stuff when we dealt with the book of Acts and so on. Paul, Paul basically gives an intended timeline for what he wants to accomplish. And, and so, so, so that's what you have taking place here. And uh, any other thoughts on that? Okay, and, and again, we could go into detail about all of them, but uh, uh, go on. Uh, in, verse, uh, in verse number 27, Paul makes the point there uh, that uh, if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Uh, uh, what does he mean by partaking together of both the spiritual and physical things, and how are those related to each other? Or how ought they be related to one another as brethren? I go. I always go back to Acts chapter two and three and four to show that the earliest brethren sold their possessions and goods and parted to every man as every man had need. But what they did that for was to make sure their physical needs were met. But more importantly, they stayed together as a unit in unity and discussing from house to house the gospel of Christ, eating their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. That was the established pattern. And so Paul's saying, look, you need to take care of one another. You're brethren. Uh, you, if you're hungry, we're going to have to feed you. If you need clothing, we're going to have to clothe you. But in all this, you're going to have to remember your brethren under Christ. And that comes first. Yeah, exactly. Any other thoughts on that? I've got one, Tom. Go ahead, John. Uh, if you look at what is said there, it's from two different standpoints. So you ask the question, how did the Gentiles partake of spiritual things? Well, that's the Jews. Think about the gospel beginning in Jerusalem and they're being taught. Think about all the churches that Paul has helped establish or established. Uh, many of those were among Gentiles. So now he's coming back through on his third journey and he's collecting from those Gentile brethren. I mean, there were Jewish brethren, of course, but he's collecting from these Gentile brethren to help those who had originally helped them by sending the word out. I mean, Paul was sent out from Antioch. So many Jews, converted Jews, sent Paul out, and now Paul is bringing physical provisions from the converted Gentiles to help the Jews in Judea. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And of course, ultimately, the point is it's our spiritual bond or our spiritual relationship with one another that leads to our willingness and ought to lead to our willingness to help each other physically if the needs are there. And I know there's a lot of parameters in that. Uh, but that's ultimately the point. And it also says something where, where, about where our priorities ought to be. You know, our priorities are spiritual. When, when the spiritual priorities are there, the physical things are going to take care of themselves. And what I mean by that is as brethren, if we're all on the same page spiritually, we're going to want to help each other physically and be willing to sacrifice of our physical possessions, which to us need to be less important than our spiritual things. So, so, so that, that's the ultimate point, and, and that's Paul's goal. He cares about everybody, and, and he wants to come and see the brethren in Rome so that he could part to them some spiritual gift as well, and, and that's his goal to get there. So, and that leads us to one final question that I want to deal with here, and just a couple of more thoughts is, Paul requests that they pray for him in verses 30 to 32. What were some of the things that he asks for there? Well, one, he asks that they pray for that plan that he had just described, um, exactly. that the things he wishes to happen, you know, that they pray over those things. Okay, yeah, exactly. And also, he knows that he's going to Judea, and he knows there's going to be problems there, but he says, I pray that I may be delivered from those in Judea who don't believe. So he prays for possible deliverance, if that be the will of God, and also that his service in Jerusalem be acceptable. May I do that which does the most good for the cause of Christ. And ultimately, when I get done with that, my goal is to come to you in Rome. I hope to see you in Rome. So, uh, so itinerary. Paul's intended itinerary, which leads to our chat room question as we wrap this up here. And in the chat room question, based on the text, did Paul make it to Rome in the way that he described in this chapter? And did we get any answers? Brian? No answers. I don't see any answers. I was just double checking there. I didn't miss any. So. Okay, so what's the answer? Not the way he planned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. As a matter of fact, there was a two to three year delay before he got there. Uh, and he, he goes by way of prison ship. And you might say he went there compliments of the government. You know, uh, that, yeah, what's you so know. interesting about that, Tom, is that it's indicative to us that, you know, even the apostles didn't know everything that was coming. And they had to learn patience and, uh, you know, that circumstances don't always go the way you want. And it's important for us to understand that we, we struggle with that. Right now, we're struggling with that. Things not going the way we want them to go. And we need to appreciate that even the apostles had to struggle with that. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that should not hinder us from planning. Right. We still need to make plans. And, and of course, it needs to be if the Lord will and be willing to adapt if those plans change. And again, there's a whole bunch more that could be said about that. But that, that's the basic summary of the section. So th there is one more question that I want to wrap this up with. And, and as we look at this last section, how does this section help us put together a timeline for the order of the New Testament? You know, people will say these, the, bo the books of the New Testament were written in this order. And some of them are guesses, but we got a pretty good idea about some of them going before others. And how does this section help us to know that? Or do you all understand what I'm asking? I guess one thing to think of is that this this indicates for us that the book of Acts is written after the book of Romans. Uh, is that kind of the things you're thinking about? Yeah, that's an example. Yeah, my and, and that's my point. You know, sometimes when we study our Bibles, we have a tendency to skip over the last chapter, you know, or skim through it. Oh, here's a bunch of names. You know, here's a bunch of names of people that we don't know and so on. And all these places are mentioned, yada, yada, yada those types of things. They, they're here for a reason. They tell us that these are real historical books dealing with real places and so on. But it also gives us a little bit of a timeline because Paul mentions things. We know that Romans had to have been written before at least the conclusion of the book of Acts because Paul is headed to Jerusalem. That's in Acts 22 and 23, that area. 
and he doesn't end up in Rome until Acts 28. So, and, and that's my point. These sections that seem to be the personal sections and so on, they're the ones that give us the continuity of the New Testament in many, in many ways. Does that kind of make sense? And, and I think that's a great observation. So, so I thank you all for bearing with me. We went just a few minutes over here. Uh, uh, but thank you, everybody. And we got through this chapter. And next week, uh, not sure who, but somebody will take care of chapter 16. And I'm done. And I'll turn it over to John. All righty. Thank you, Tom, for leading us through Romans chapter 15. Um, as you said, we will consider Romans 16 next week. Now, one of the things that we're having to contend with is figuring out where to go to from here. Um, and so far, let's see if I can uh, get this shared real easily here. I'm not sure. Let me see. So let me, if, if you have an opportunity, go to truthfactor.com. Not right at this moment, but a little bit later, go to truthfactor.com. And um, look under archives, and you will see there under our archives the various things that we have studied over the last, well, eight years. We started this study back in 2012, in the fall of 2012. And here we go. I can bring it up on the screen now. Um, and these are some of the things. These are actually everything that we've studied. And so putting them in a, a book order of the New Testament, um, so what we've got to decide is, do we want to stay in the New Testament since we're seeking to factor the truth of God's word into our lives, or do we want to do the Old Testament? And I've been leading some towards Leviticus. Just kidding. Um, I think I've been leaning more towards the minor prophets. That might be a very interesting study. Um, I did think about Revelation for a little bit. Tom just tossed that into the room there, into our little private discussion. So we'll put some thought to this, and once we're done with Romans 16, uh, hopefully we'll have a decision by then of where we want to go in our studies. And if you've missed any of our previous studies, go to truthfactor.com, click on archives. You'll see it. You'll, you'll look just like there, and um, you can go and catch up on our past Truth Factor discussions. And you'll see some new faces. We've had different people join us through our discussion since 2012. And um, especially when you go back to our earlier ones, such as James, our first full study was in James. You'll, you'll see a few different faces way back then. And we'll all look a little bit younger way back then. Right, Tom? All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for joining us for our discussion today. Appreciate your kind attention. If you were watching this at some future point and you have any questions about what you've heard, feel free to send us an email. Send it to questions at truthfactorlive.com. Questions at truthfactorlive.com. All righty, that's it for today. If everything goes according to plan uh, or Lord willing, as we like to say, we will be continuing Romans chapter 16 next Wednesday at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. Noon uh, Eastern Time. 9 a.m. Pacific Time. 10 a.m. Mountain Time. That's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.